3: Been talking about what I think is uh, basically a return to normalcy uh, of a weekend in many different parts of American sports, variety of different sports. Atlanta Braves have a big game on Friday on, or sorry Saturday on FS1. It's the national game on Sunday night. They have uh, the the Mother's Day night uh, big game that's going on. Uh, with uh, with the uh, with the Phillies, big series there, a hundred percent crowds present. You just heard us talking about that with Barrett Salee. but that's not it. We uh, we had the Canelo Alvarez uh, fight with over seventy thousand fans present. We had a really normal situation. It felt like in Charlotte with golf, Darlington the race with NASCAR. Everywhere it felt like things are starting to get back to normal in many respects. And I think as we inch closer to Memorial Day, Memorial Day is going to be, I believe, the official return to normalcy in this country. I think there's going to be almost no restrictions of co- on COVID anymore by the end of this month. And even, even places that are severely locked down historically over the last year, New York City, New York State, heck, even California – is saying that they're officially opening back up on June 15th and everything's going to be back to normal there. And But I think Memorial Day and basically every day for the rest of the this month, it's going to be hard-pressed to be able to tell very much different. I think there are going to be a lot of masks that vanish. I think uh, if you watch that Atlanta Braves fight, uh, the the game or the fight going on with Canelo or the outdoor golf tournament – I think anybody who wants to wear a mask can still wear a mask. I think masks are going to vanish in a heartbeat. I really do. I think they are going to vanish. I mean, I I I've been in one restaurant in my area of of Nashville in the last couple of weeks where somebody even mentioned that I needed a mask. Like I don't I had one in my car for a long time. So where whenever I was going into a business if they wanted you to put one on, it's to the point now where I don't even have one in my car and I forget about needing one at all. Like I went to a restaurant on Friday night and they asked me if I had a mask when I walked in. And look, all this is cosmetic theater at this point. Can we be honest about this? It's been that way for a long time. You want me to wear a mask to take eight steps to sit down at my table and then take it off? I mean, all of this was a joke. Uh, I think in many respects, it was cosmetic theater I think we need to sooner rather than later at places like Disney World and Disneyland. I mean, I was talking to a buddy and he was down there uh, with his kids at Disney World recently. He's like, man, it's 95 degrees out. And we now know that there's almost no uh, transmission outdoors of COVID and it's 95 degrees. I think you're going to have people stroking out wearing masks more. The danger of just getting overheated is more substantial than the danger of being able to spread COVID. I I think we just need to get back to normalcy. And to me, seeing a foul ball hit into the crowd and seeing everybody without their mask trying to catch it and seeing all those guys who were there to watch the big fight with Canelo Alvarez, seeing the way they were able to experience that in an entire Dallas Cowboys stadium, basically with nobody wearing masks, with everybody drinking beer and living it up and having a good time, that is, to me, what we need to get back to. And I feel like in many ways, this weekend was a return to normalcy in the world of sports. And trust me, I've been fighting for this for a year. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it would be interesting to go back and listen to all of the months of radio programs that we did when there were no sports going on and uh, we were trying to advocate if some of you I'll talk about this with Petros tomorrow on the show but a lot of you will remember uh, early on when all the sports were shut down I was one of the first guys who floated the idea of a bubble in fact Danny G that would be fun to play for Petros uh, potentially tomorrow on the program when we have him on was his reaction to my idea if we could track down the archives of it, when I was floating the idea of there being a bubble. Because ultimately, the NHL and the NBA both ended up doing it. But in around, I think it was like April of last year, I was sitting around arguing, hey, there's a way to do this bubble, you know, fine. I wish I'd been smart enough to think of Disney World in particular. But what I said was, hey, just go to a college campus that has multiple basketball courts. I think I even suggested Las Vegas and just allow the season to be played there and Petros you would have thought that this was, I've had a lot of wacky ideas but you would have thought this was the dumbest idea of all time that I had floated and the way that he had responded to it I mean it was just crazy the way that that uh, that that ended up coming down but the Petros reaction to it was absolutely extraordinary just how ridiculous he basically let me know that he thought that entire idea was So uh, as we start off uh, the Monday edition here of the program, I feel like in many ways we are back to normalcy this past weekend, both in golf, in NASCAR, in uh, Major League Baseball, at least for a big series that was nationally distributed, as well as for boxing, all of those different sports felt normal. And I think, honestly, the big debate going forward, which is going to change and spin and adjust in a hurry. And I'm going to talk about this some tomorrow, but I'm going to kind of hint at it today. I think the competitive advantages that are going to be present in the NHL and the NBA playoffs are going to hasten the return of crowds in a hurry. Because I think you can look out on the horizon and think hey, is it crazy? Or could we see the Dallas Mavericks having basically a full arena with Luka and the Mavs based on the fact that the Texas Rangers have had full crowds? And now Jerry Jones has had a full crowd in the Dallas Cowboys stadium. Is it crazy to think that the Dallas Mavericks could have close to a home court advantage that is nearly full in the NBA playoffs? I don't think that's wild at all. And is it crazy to think, and I've talked about this for a while, that, for instance, the Utah Jazz, given the fact that Utah has been more aggressive, or the Phoenix Suns, given the fact that the Arizona area has been more aggressive— In the Western Conference playoffs, I think you could find a situation where the Lakers and the Clippers and, let's say, the Trailblazers are at a substantial disadvantage when it comes to home court fandom. And I think the pressure could get ratcheted up in a big way if you start to think about, let's say, the Nashville Predators, for example, or the Carolina Hurricanes in hockey. The teams that are in the South are going to be more likely to have big crowds and you start looking and thinking at the playoff uh, scenarios, and I think it does become a big question of man, as if already it wasn't hard enough to go through all these different uh, all these different permutations and parameters in order to win a championship, and then you're going to tell me like I can run through right now and tell you, in for instance, the uh, NBA, the Utah Jazz are going to have home court advantage probably. They're close to winning home court advantage in the Western Conference. And they're probably going to have a lot of crowds present. I think the Phoenix Suns could end up. I think that the Dallas Mavericks certainly could. And then you look around at some of these other teams, and even in the play-in series, the Memphis Grizzlies and the Spurs. W, what are the Spurs doing right now for crowds?
0: Uh, they're, They've are they got decent crowds. They're still not at full capacity yet, but I agree with you. with With more events happening, with more and more fans coming, I could see full crowds being completely normal in, like, less than a month.
3: Yeah, right. I mean, and and to me, look at the play-in scenarios right now in the NBA, right? The Lakers and the Golden State Warriors are unlikely to be able to have that big of crowds, right? But the Memphis Grizzlies and the San Antonio Spurs, assuming that those are the teams that also get into the play-in round, like, they could have substantial home court advantages compared to the teams that they're going up against. That's in the West. And then in the East, you could see Charlotte – having a decent home court advantage and maybe the Pacers having a decent home court advantage and not as much the Celtics and the Washington Wizards. Well, I could see that factoring in in a big way as you start to assess the overall landscape. I'm just using the NBA as an example. The the NHL is a bit more complicated, but I think that's where we're headed, where competitive advantages could end up opening up all of these different leagues in a big way. Now, by the way, I said I was going to talk about Aaron Rodgers. Here's what I'll do. I know we're going to talk a lot of Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers is a little bit out of the news over the weekend, although I don't know if you saw this, you guys out there. There was a reported Aaron Rodgers doppelganger who was walking around in Green Bay that was getting all this attention. All the media guys were like, hey, Aaron Rodgers is back. I saw him like, and then people are like, wait a minute, no, Aaron Rodgers is not back. I mean, we saw Aaron Rodgers at the Kentucky Derby, but there were false sightings of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Uh, We can't go a full show without talking at least a little bit NFL. So we'll talk some Aaron Rodgers at the end of this hour. But I want to let you know, as we prepare to get to the end of the hour, I've got Mike uh, Coppinger from The Athletic. He was there for the Canelo Alvarez-Billy Joe Saunders fight, and I'm curious uh, what he thought of that massive crowd that was present there in Jerry World in the Dallas area. We'll unpack that a bit with him, and then I'll talk a little bit Aaron Rodgers, the latest from my perspective on the Aaron Rodgers drama. Uh, To close out the second hour of the program, also letting you know we are scheduled to be joined by Todd Furman in the third hour of the program. Lots of different stories we are tracking. I appreciate all of you hanging out with us. When we come back more with Mike Coppinger, we'll dive into that big boxing match on what I am calling a liberating. A liberating weekend. I hope all of you managed to take care of the mothers in your life. I hope all of you had a fantastic day. I was supposed to have a bunch of Little League games. The rain swept in like crazy, wasn't able to do it. But I hope all of you reminded and remembered to take care of all the moms in your life, the mother-in-laws in your life, all the different women who helped to make your life as fun and memorable and as exciting as it could be. I hope all of you managed to do that. We'll talk about another fun event when we come back. More with uh, Mike Coppinger on the situation in Dallas with the big fight in the liberation weekend that was, I feel like, the full fruition of normalcy in many ways in America on Fox Sports Radio. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis.
1: getting you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at slash 2 pros That's h slash m s.com/2pros for your personalized ED treatment options. slash 2 pros Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Sex are compounded products and have not been approved by the FDA. The FDA does not verify the safety or effectiveness of compounded drugs.
2: Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m. Wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m. Grab seats for the game. Come on!
3: The biggest crowd that has existed to watch a sporting event since March of last year was the big boxing match down in Texas that was going on in Jerry Jones' stadium, an early preview of the crowds that will theoretically be able to be present there Uh, For a full Dallas Cowboys stadium, which should be a lot of fun in August, I would imagine we will get 100% full capacity stadium there uh, as we return to some form of normalcy in the world of sports. And there's certainly a a degree of normalcy in Canelo Alvarez uh, delivering another beatdown, even if it was really a battle uh, between uh, both those guys. And a guy who was there watching it, Mike Coppinger from The Athletic, we talked to him on Friday about this and the expectation of what the crowds were going to look like. Mike, you've covered a lot of fights over the years. What was the vibe inside of uh, the uh, the AT&T Stadium there? And as we go forward, is there any doubt that we're back to normalcy, at least in the world of boxing, in your mind?
4: Yeah, Clay, it was wild. I mean, I've never experienced an atmosphere like this simply because this broke the indoor attendance record for boxing in the U.S., with 73,126 fans, and Canelo's a rock star. They were all screaming. They were booing, booing Billy Joe Saunders. It was wild, and it was kind of like riding a bicycle, you know? It didn't feel weird after all the uh, lockdown and all that.
3: What uh, did the the vibe in the stadium – I mean, if you had sort of closed your eyes – we were talking about this a little bit with uh, Barrett Salee from CBS Sports who was in the crowd for the Braves series against the Phillies with the Braves stadium going back to 100% capacity – If you had closed your eyes and not known that the last year happened, would there be any difference in the way it felt to you in terms of the overall vibe of that boxing match? Or did it feel almost completely normal?
4: I mean, it felt completely normal to me. No one was wearing masks. You know, we're in Texas. There's no mandate here. Uh, Everyone was screaming their faces off drinking. There were fights in the stands. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, his dad, got shoved by a security guard after the fight as he went to check on his son. But yeah, it was normalcy in the boxing world, normalcy for sporting events, and hopefully now we're going to see everyone else follow suit.
3: Uh, okay, so uh, we're talking to Mike Coppinger. In the fight itself, it seemed like Billy Joe Saunders had a chance, had a little bit of an opening there, fought Canelo toe-to-toe, but obviously ended up with some fairly significant injuries himself. How would you assess the fight itself?
4: Yeah, Billy Joe was really boxing beautifully. Southpaw jab, landed a lot of big overhand lefts. But Canelo has a great chin, and Canelo never seemed to really care about winning a boxing match or trying to outbox Billy Joe Saunders. He was throwing massive shots, and he wanted to hurt him, and he did. You mentioned the injuries. Billy Joe Saunders' corner stopped the fight after round eight. Because Billy Saunders suffered multiple fractures toward his orbital bone. He's going to be in Fort Worth, Texas, in the hospital at John Peter Smith until Wednesday at least, you know, because you can't fly when you have an injury like that. That's a really bad surgery. You have to have your face cut open. You have to have a metal plate put in there. Who knows if he's ever going to fight again? That was a brutal right uppercut.
3: Uh, so for Canelo... Will he fight Caleb Plant? One of the big challenges of boxing in general has been that sometimes we don't get the fights that most people seem to want to see. Is that going to happen? Where does Canelo go from here?
4: I would be very surprised if we're not going to see Canelo versus Caleb Plant for the undisputed 168 pound championship on uh, in September. Uh, and the beauty of that is Canelo is the biggest star in the sport, he's the shot caller. And he's a network and promotional free agent. He can fight whoever he wants on whatever network he wants. He has been working with Eddie Hearn, who's going to try to get that fight done. And the only question to me now is, what network is that fight going to take place? Is it going to be The Zone, or is it going to be Fox pay-per-view, or even Showtime pay-per-view?
3: How much money would that fight be worth in your mind? How much interest would there be in uh, Caleb Plant going up against Canelo Alvarez?
4: I think there's a, going to be a tremendous amount of interest in whenever Canelo fights against whom. But let's face it, Caleb Plant, he's a white American. That's really rare in boxing. And I think that'll be a big storyline. Um, I think also Caleb Plant, he's undefeated. He's a trash talker. And this will be the first undisputed champion in the three or four belts era. I think it's going to be a massive fight. And I'm sure Canelo is going to make 35, 40 million. Caleb Plant will probably make eight to 10 million.
3: So. How much of a favorite should Canelo be in fighting Caleb Plant in your mind?
4: Uh, I would say I would put him at like a minus 600, minus 700. So pretty big favorite. A, yeah, pretty big favorite just because of how good Canelo is. And also because Caleb Plant has a very similar style to Billy Joe Saunders. You know, we like to box and move only. Plant is a righty, whereas Billy Joe is a southpaw. And Caleb Plant is not nearly as experienced as Billy Joe.
3: We're talking to Mike Coppinger breaking down the big fight that took place in uh, Jerry Jones's stadium, the AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Over 70,000 fans there to watch. When we talked to you on Friday, I believe it was, you were talking about Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, the possibility of that fight happening. Tyson Fury was there, Billy Joe Saunders' uh, supporter Did you pick up any more intel over the weekend on the likelihood of Tyson Fury going up against uh, Anthony Joshua? Is that big heavyweight fight still in your mind likely to happen?
4: I think we're going to get an announcement this week for August 14th in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Um, I was told earlier today that the fight's pretty much done now and they're just finishing up the paperwork. So I think we could have it as soon as tomorrow even or the day after. And that's going to be... The biggest fight, not just in boxing but combat sports, in a good five years.
3: So Riyadh, uh, August fourteenth. How? I mean, that's smart, right? Because they get it in before the NFL or college football start in the summer. I would think there would be a monster amount of demand for that. I think that would also be right after the Olympics, if that is the date and if that is the event. Who should be the favorite, and who do you make as uh, as the guy who would win that fight? Uh,
4: I'm going big on Tyson Fury. I think he's one of the best fighters in the world regardless of weight, and he just happens to be a heavyweight six foot 6'9", a massive puncher. He can box tremendously, too, from the outside. But maker wise I would say Fury's probably going to be like a minus 200. Nothing crazy. I mean, Josh was a great fighter, too. He's just a, you know, a massive puncher. And that's going to be a fight between the two biggest stars in England, but it's going to really cross over, I think, to the United States and beyond.
3: So if whoever wins that fight, and we'll have a lot of time to talk about it if you're right, and it's going to happen in August, where does that set the table? Obviously, Anthony Joshua lost to Ruiz. Uh, Tyson Fury, you still got you know kind of floating around out there what exactly he would do afterwards, whether or not uh, his next fight would be maybe a rematch with Joshua because there would be so much interest depending on how it goes. What's his trajectory look like? How would you kind of sketch out where heavyweights are going from that fight?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's actually going to be a two-fight deal with them splitting the revenue 50-50, and it's going to be a $150 million psyche, so a lot of money to split. That's not even counting the pay-per-view. That's wild. The the loser, yeah, it's wild, yeah. and. The loser is going to get 40% to 60% for the winner in the rematch. So it will be two fights between Fury and Joshua. After that, though, How much time, really time do you think
3: the they victory. would give? Yeah, that's an interesting question. How much time would be likely to happen? If they fight in mid-August, regardless of what happens there, they, they've set up a two-fight combo. When would the next fight happen? You know, four months, six months? I mean, what would you foresee?
4: I would say anywhere from December to February, March.
3: Somewhere yeah. in there. And then after those two, obviously we don't know exactly what would happen, but how is the heavyweight uh, universe looking outside of theirs? Deontay Wilder have a chance to get back and fight Fury again, or how is that assess- How is that breaking down?
4: Yeah, actually, right now, they're waiting for a ruling from the arbitrator in the Deontay Wilder-Tyson Fury case. They've been at the arbitrator's house in Napa, California, and it's unlikely that he's going to rule that Fury has to fight him again, but he might award damages. And then after that, I think we might see Deontay Wilder fight Charles Martin over the summer. And if they're smart, they should do Deontay Wilder versus Andy Ruiz. That's a big, big fight. And I think it sells really well on pay-per-view.
3: Has has Andy Ruiz redeemed himself after putting on some weight, obviously, and not looking as good in the rematch against Anthony Joshua?
4: Uh, I think it's a work in progress. I I think it's great that he got the win. I think it's nice that he lost some weight, but he still has a lot more weight to lose. The most important thing I think is that he's, you know, he's not a superstar, but he's definitely a big attraction right now, and he's going to get a big fight. I think the fight to make is Deontay Wilder. He beats Wilder. He's a, you know, bigger than he's ever been before. If he loses, then maybe he gets a rematch.
3: How much controversy would there have been in the uh, in the sort of the scorecards in this fight if they had been able to continue? Right? If if Saunders hadn't had the issue with the uh, the orbital bone. And he had been able to continue. What do you think the likely scorecards of the judges would have shown?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we know how much boxing loves controversy. Yeah, no doubt. I actually had the fight. I had the fight even after the eighth rounds. I had Saunders up four three heading into the set uh, into the eighth, and I think it was a really close fight. I mean, I always tell anyone when you score a fight, you, you know, I'm not saying oh I'm right on every round, you know. it's it's subjective. There's a range of scores, but I would say that range of scores was anywhere from 6-2 Canelo to
3: 4-4. And and a lot of times, you know, that's what's the challenge of the, the boxing is, right? Like, and why people sometimes don't trust it is when you go into that, uh, when you go into that, uh, those scorecards, craziness can happen. And sometimes it's just people don't trust it, right?
4: Yeah, people are really not trusting judges. We saw what happened with Canelo Triple G, the first fight, and a million other fights. I mean, the one that comes to mind for me is when Canelo Alvarez, who's a way better fighter now, fought Floyd Mayweather in 2013. Mayweather absolutely clowns him and played with him for 12 rounds, and one judge had it even.
3: What do you think, by the way, speaking of Mayweather, what do you think about this exhibition against the Paul brother? I mean, Mayweather is 44 years old. He's obviously undefeated, never lost. Do these YouTube fights help or hurt the overall sport of boxing in your mind?
4: Um, I mean, I think it's great that they bring some interest to the sport from the casuals. But I think what ends up happening is people don't realize that this is not a real fight. And they're going to watch the fight on, on June 6th. Not going to be a real fight. And then they're going to complain afterward. And it's going to do big business, I am sure, especially after Jake Paul's gotcha hat stunt, which seems to really inject a lot of light into the event.
3: And so it is kind of interesting. It's like an entry point for a lot of these YouTube uh, uh, fans, right? These young kids, because they're not necessarily committed that much to the idea of boxing, and they didn't grow up with Mike Tyson or they didn't grow up with Lennox Lewis or some of the other Vander Holyfield monster stars that a lot of people around my age would have grown up with. And so you end up watching, it's kind of an entry point, but if you think it's not a very entertaining product, you may be less likely to support the guys who are the big-time pros.
4: Right, because you always hear people say, well, it's great because the YouTubers might stick around. in mean, YouTube audience, I'm not so sure they're going to stick around. I don't know that they're into boxing. Um, you know. But look, Jake Paul seems like he's committed to fighting right now, at least for, you know, right now he yeah, wants to do it. I don't know how long he's going to do it after that. I'm just not so sure that they're going to stick around. But I do think that the boxing demographic is younger than people think.
3: Uh, at this point now that the Jerry's world has had over 70,000 fans – is it fair to say that boxing for big events, I know you said that the one that between Joshua and Fury might take place in Saudi Arabia for money-related purposes, but is Vegas going to have to follow this lead now that they had over 70,000 uh, present for this boxing match? Is boxing back to normal pre-COVID in your mind after this event?
4: I sure hope so. I mean, obviously a lot of fights go to California and New York and they're still restricted, which is hurting the sport. And Top rank who has an alpha deal with ESPN. Just did a four-fight deal with Virgin Hotels, which is the former Hard Rock. That only holds like 1500 2000 So, but we're going to have a Legion Stadium there, maybe wanting to host a Canelo fight, host maybe a Deontay Wilder fight. I do think boxing is going to be back, and hopefully it's going to help lend itself to other sports having big events
3: outstanding stuff as always i appreciate the time mike uh, glad you were there on saturday night and hopefully we'll talk to you soon again maybe if that news comes out about joshua uh and uh and fury fighting that would be obviously something big going on throughout the summer for people to look forward to appreciate it, my man
4: thanks as always clay.
3: this is outkick the coverage with clay travis
1: Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit us at o'reillyauto.com/two-pros. That's o'reillyauto.com/two-pros.
2: When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, "Chef, what course are we on?" I'm, I've lost count. Or,
3: shoot that! Shoot that!
1: kind of
3: unpacking everything that took co- took place over the course of the weekend, big boxing match, over 70,000 fans present in Dallas, Atlanta Braves big series against the Philadelphia Phillies, over 40,000 ish present for each of those games, 100% capacity available. Uh by the way, let me mention this too. A lot of times people talk about 100% attendance. There's a difference between 100% capacity and 100% attendance. Most Major League Baseball games in May don't come anywhere close to 100% capacity. You can theoretically sell every single ticket, put it up for sale, and a huge number of people still may not buy it, right? So uh, using a good example, the Miami Marlins and the Tampa Bay Rays, they almost never sell out their stadium. But they have 100% availability. One of the reasons why I think we need to focus on 100% availability is it's possible that a lot of these stadiums aren't going to be that full. If it's cold in Detroit, there are a lot of people probably who don't want to go sit and watch a baseball game on a April or May night. That's normal. The games usually pick up in terms of their overall attendance as we move into June, July, and August, and it starts to get more warm everywhere else. But... This doesn't mean that we shouldn't be offering 100% of seats in my opinion for so many different sporting events now. If people don't want to go, uh what was the great line from Jogi, uh, Yogi Yogi Bear? If people don't want to go, you can't stop them, right? It's a great uh, one of the great Yogiisms out there. We still don't know how many people are going to want to go watch let's say the Oakland A's play. There aren't a lot of people who go to their games in the first place. But you could at least make those seats available to everyone out there and see what kind of demand you have to gauge because I tend to think that baseball fans and sports fans in general are going to be some of the first people who are demanding, especially for outdoor re- related venues, the opportunity to go watch games. And so. I would say the overarching theme of today's show, to the extent that there is one, we're obviously in a little bit of a slow period because the NHL and the NBA playoffs haven't started yet. I think the story is, this weekend, if you look at golf, Quail Hollow, Rory McIlroy winning, if you look at the Atlanta Braves series against the Philadelphia Phillies, which was a massively popular series in the context of, Baseball, right? There are a lot of other baseball series going on, but they had the games being played on Saturday on FS1. And then Sunday, last night, if you were watching, sitting around wanting to watch a sporting event on television, ESPN had Phillies Braves on. And then you also look at the Canelo fight on Saturday night and NASCAR in Darlington, there felt very much a different vibe there. And I think what's going to happen is a lot of the areas that are closest to Atlanta are going to look around. I'll give you an example. I think the Cincinnati Reds and uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, for example, are going to look around at full stadiums in Atlanta, and I think the Reds and the Cardinals are going to say, wait a minute, if they're having a full stadium in Atlanta, why aren't we doing that too? And certainly I think you're already seeing that with the Astros being close to uh, the the Rangers – And I think it's going. that's the way it's going to spread back to normalcy is one geographic region that is close to another is going to say, well, if they can do it, then we can do it. And that's the way we get very rapidly back to normalcy such that I think by the end of May, by June 1st, when kids really, when the summer starts to ramp up in a big way, I think things are going to be back to normalcy to a massive degree. And I think it's going to spread very, very quickly from here on out because even cities like New York and New York City and even states like California are beginning to open up in a massive way. And sports are a big, big part of that return to normalcy. And I also think we're not going to have as many battles as maybe some people anticipated over vaccination, because I'll tell you this right now, all of the SEC schools are opening and they're going to have 100% fans present, and they're not going to be requesting vaccine slips in order to let people back in. And believe it or not, it won't be that long until we get to September and college football is underway. And I think all of the, you know, just use as an example, with the Atlanta Braves back at 100% and Atlanta United, the team in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium that plays the same place as the Atlanta Falcons does, they're not going to be both of those sports back in the Atlanta area, and then suddenly the Falcons aren't going to be able to play in front of a 100% crowd, Nashville, my hometown, is officially going to be 100% open on Friday. It's basically 100% open now, but there's no way that they're going to not allow the Tennessee Titans stadium to be 100% capacity as well. And so I think what you're going to see is this is going to spread very quickly a return to normalcy. We already know Florida and Texas have been leading the charge on a lot of this, Georgia, Tennessee, Oklahoma. There's all these different States that are opening it back up in a big way. And uh, by the way, at the top of the third hour, I thought that uh, that one of the things that's interesting, uh, Barrett elite told us in the first hour, Hey, the Braves are allowing people to get vaccinated. Do you know who they've broken out to help give vaccine uh, PSAs in the state of Alabama, Nick Saban. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit, about opening back up the country at the top of the third hour. But Nick Saban is maybe in the state of Alabama, the most beloved popular. They, they said, I, I read this article. I think it was in, uh, in the Wall Street Journal. Nick Saban, 79% approval rating in the state of Alabama. negativity, I think you probably know those 10% negativity Auburn diehards, right? 10% negativity, they said they've never seen anything like it in terms of a favorability rating and the amazing thing about Nick Saban is he cuts across white, black, Asian Hispanic, in the state of Alabama, there is almost no difference in how much people love Nick Saban, no matter what their background is. Which goes to my point, I'm going to talk about this again at the start of the third hour. Are we wasting Nick Saban? Is what we need a President Nick Saban of the United States? Because I feel like his popularity in the state of Alabama could translate his no-nonsense leadership. I feel like it would translate pretty well into the larger United States population as well. But, Dub, you went to college at Auburn. You are an Auburn guy. Does it surprise you at all that Nick Saban, 79% approval rating, only a 10% negativity, and it doesn't matter what your background is in Alabama, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, he's basically uniformly high. The guys were like, yeah, we've never seen anybody test this high before.
0: You know, I'm not really surprised at it because every time, and I mentioned this last week, I think, every time he steps to a microphone, I basically agree with what he says and yeah. he's very methodical and he he makes sense and it's everything he says is well thought out and if it weren't for you know basically 3 or 4 hours every Saturday when I'm rooting for whoever Alabama is playing and obviously when Auburn is playing Alabama I like the guy and it's hard to say that with the uh intense rivalry that is Auburn and Alabama but hey I just Call it like I see it, and I, I like the guy. I really do. I mean,
3: the fact that he only has a 10% negativity, and I would bet almost entirely the 10% negativity is the most diehard Auburn fans who really don't hate him, right? They're just so anti-Alabama that that's the negativity associated with it.
0: Yeah, that's 100% accurate where that 10% lies.
3: Uh, all right, so I've been teasing this Aaron. I wish that there was actual information that we could give you on Aaron Rodgers because I feel like I want to make sure that we, uh, you know, sort of hit the backboards, uh, slap the ba- slap the glass on a layup every day where we're going to talk Aaron Rodgers at some point, especially coming out of a weekend. Uh, the big story out of Green Bay was that there was a rumor Aaron Rodgers was in Green Bay. This went off uh, and took fire a little bit on social media and then it came out that, oh, sorry, Aaron Rodgers was not actually in Green Bay. So the biggest story of the weekend for Aaron Rodgers was he might have been in Green Bay. And I know that they uh, the other big story, I guess, probably of the weekend, uh, the, the Aaron Rodgers drama, was to his credit, Dan Patrick had on uh, Adam Schefter. And he was like, okay, what's the story here as it pertains to why you decided to break the Aaron Rodgers story on the day of the NFL draft, like you did. And Adam Schefter kind of hemmed and hawed around why he made the comments that he did. But I think the larger, you know, con- contact here is, and the larger sort of situation, until we get some sort of public commentary from Aaron Rodgers, I don't know how this story advances from here. Because if Aaron Rodgers really wants to put pressure on Green Bay and doesn't want to be back at all, then I think he's probably going to have to come out in some way and announce a public divorce. Lacking that, I don't know if he's going to be able to put enough pressure on the Packers to demand that they trade him. Because I think if you consider the negotiating leverage here, the Packers' leverage is we don't have to do anything And you can retire and never play again. I find it hard to believe that Aaron Rodgers is going to get the Jeopardy hosting gig. And so, I think if Aaron Rodgers is not playing football, he's going to have a ton of time suddenly to fill. And I don't know how a guy like Aaron Rodgers fills that time. As a uh, basically single guy, no kids, no real responsibilities otherwise, that's a big part of your life to suddenly have to fill and I'm not sure exactly how Aaron Rodgers does this so I think unless he's willing to go public in a really really substantial way that ultimately the Packers may hold some of the trump cards here when we come back top of the third hour sports officially back underway plus Todd Furman my co-host from Fox Bet Live all that coming to your direction this is Outkick on Fox Sports Radio
2: Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young-yu, Ji Young Stars, as co-lead in the six-part limited series Expats. I think I learn a little bit with
1: every character that I I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people.
2: If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.